So, Nicole, good morning. Morning. We thought we might do a dialogue around self-inquiry. Yeah. Okay. Like it's one of various terms that we've used to describe a practice we do ourselves and work we do, um, thrown in with a lot of other slightly strange sounding terms yeah. like transpersonal or non-duality or the Indian equivalence of these words gets even worse. Yeah. But, um, self-inquiry is one we both probably use quite a bit and you used yeah. it quite a bit in your book. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we thought we might have a little chat about, um, what that, what that means. Uh, and hopefully we mean the same thing by it. Otherwise, like we've been talking for the past two years about different things and, you know, that'll be, that'll be curtains for us. Then we'll have to go our separate <laughs> ways. But <laughs> so, um, and more than that, Nicole, you describe it as um, something you're personally interested in, but also something that was um, essential to um, your recovery from body dysmorphia. And yeah, a great interest of mine. And also something that um, when I went for a depressive period, it's the thing that really brought me out of that. Mm -hmm. So what, what, are you, what are you referring to in the term self-inquiry? Well, first of all, I think it's totally fine if we end up having different conceptualizations of it because okay, think, good. from what I've read and from what I've experienced, it seems that it is taken up and described and practiced um, in different ways with different people. I think that's really, that's a really beautiful aspect of all of these practices that they kind of, we take them up as best fits our circumstance and our conditioning and all the rest of it um so for me self-inquiry for me it was very much a practice of a returning to the sense of who i am beyond the personal so i guess if we take it back to that kind of transpersonal word which is another one of the weird words um I think there's this idea with transpersonal that it's where well, we break it up. So trans beyond and personal, personal, so beyond the personal. And I think implicit in that there's a, a danger of it being um, assumed that therefore we have to go above and beyond the personal. Therefore, we leave the personal and we, we go to this other realm and therefore it sounds all very spiritual and and maybe unreachable as well but i think trans also means across so it's this idea that we are both the person all the person the thoughts the body the sensations the perceptions the experiences but we're also something else that's beyond that but there's a both a both and mm -hmm. um so for me the self-inquiry I, I was very much that i'm my body and my identity was very much pinned on to my appearance onto my thoughts um yeah very much embedded in those things and the practice of self-inquiry was then taking it back to well who is this i who am i who says my body my thoughts that has these experiences and what i personally found is when i you know, I could, I could observe my thoughts and I found my thoughts to be an object. So I could turn my attention towards my thoughts and I could observe my body. So I could uh, turn my attention to this object that is my body. You know, I could find it. 
um, similarly with my senses, similarly with the things I could perceive, and sort of all objects in the world. But then when I try to find this I, who am I, and try to turn around and look at that one, I couldn't find it. Um, and in that moment of turning around and really, really being with that sense of I, I, um, there was a stillness because there was an absence of an object. Um, and it felt similarly to how I felt spontaneously many times in my life, maybe in response to nature or music or, um, you know, just those moments when we're absorbed in something and time disappears and we seem to disappear and we kind of lose touch with this kind of per person, personal experience of who we are. Um, yeah. And for me, it wasn't so much a practice of like sitting for hours a day asking, who am I? Who am I? I did do that a bit. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it was more kind of throughout my day, taking this attention back to a sense of I and finding, um, finding that I couldn't grasp it. Okay. I'm, I'm curious to know um, when these thoughts started arising in you or when you became aware over there being a mystery to the sense of I within, right? Because I think like as a culture, we've inquired into a great many things, okay? Mm -hmm. From like um, the way balls roll down inclined planes to what makes volcanoes go off mm -hmm. to going into outer space to like the subatomic realm. But the nature of who is it that's doing the inquiries, the yeah. nature of the self yeah. is less explored, right? Mm -hmm. um, in the West for the past few hundred years, more explored in eastern culture and maybe like back 2000 years ago in western culture and this kind of esoteric stuff got lost about i think my dog is wanting to get in on the, the conversation <laughs> so excuse her everyone um and i can yeah i can um see in my own life like a certain point um when i became aware that there's not a solid self back here that's looking out mm -hmm. into the world and then strange that I missed that for so many years. But what was your experience of like, when did these thoughts of, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll say mine in a moment, but um, what kicked that off for you? Um, I guess the first word that comes to my mind is, is suffering. Um, and I guess underneath that is resistance, a lot of resistance to the way things were in my life. Um, you know, you mentioned before that I did struggle with, um, I had a diagnosis of anorexia, I had a diagnosis of body dysmorphic disorder. And I think those behaviours that focus on my appearance, that self-salvation was a response to just really resisting the sense in me that I was unlovable, um, a monster even. And that just being abhorrent, of course, that, that sense to me, and that came out of my history and there's all sorts that could be gone into there in terms of transgenerational stuff and relational stuff. Um, so I really struggled with this for years and years. I thought, I'm, I'm a monster. I'm, a, I'm an awful person. Um, there's nothing good in me. Maybe if I just make my body look a bit more acceptable, people might love me. That's something I'll try. Um, I will also try lots of other things to make myself lovable. But intrinsically, I feel unlovable. And kind of 
feeling like that for years and years and years, um, but never questioning, um, A, never questioning whether that was true or not, because it just was true, because that's how I felt. B, never imagining that that might not be attributable to me, that there might be you know, other people, mm -hmm. other circumstances, conditioning, maybe even genetics, tiny bit maybe, um, kind of coming together in this kind of boiling pot of the thing that emerged, the behaviours that emerged and the feelings that emerged. Um, yeah, but, but never questioning any of that and never questioning who is this one that's a monster? Who is this one that's abhorrent? Mm -hmm. Who is this one that's unlovable? Um, and I really got to, I guess, breaking point is the common um, phraseology for such an experience where I just thought, I can't, I literally can't go on like this. I can't, um, I can't bear it. I cannot bear it. And in that, there was only one option left because I tried all the other options. I tried resisting, I tried running, I tried fixing, I tried pretending, um, and I'd really tried them for years. And I got to this kind of breaking point and I thought, gosh, there's only one place left and that's to do the opposite to all of those things. That's to totally embrace my experience fully, to totally let go of the resistance, to totally surrender to this sense of self-hatred and abhorrence within me and to just hug the monster or however, mm -hmm. don't know how to, to, to put it. Um, it all sounds very trite when I try to put it into words, but it really was a moment of this is the end and I'll either die um, or, or something will rise up. There was, you know, it had to be one of those things because it was so fundamental um, and existential, I guess. Um, and I guess what happened, Richard, or my experience was when that resistance dropped and like not resistance in order to um, fix so I tried that too. So like, oh, I'll stop resisting and then maybe I'll be all right. Not that. It's like total dropping of resistance, mm. even if it means I'm going to go mad here or, um, or indeed explode into a thousand tiny pieces, which is how it felt. True letting go of resistance. Um, then the one who was doing all that resisting and fighting and starving and, and checking the skin and... I don't know, seemed to be very thin and ephemeral. And then I, I gradually kind of had an experience of, gosh, I can't find that one who's doing all this suffering and starving. And, and that really made me go back to um, explore where that one was. And, and that kind of led me on a path to um, doing a bit of reading around the subject and discovering that this thing had a term called self-inquiry yeah. and that others maybe called it other things. I was like, ah, that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, but explained so much better than I could have conceptually. Okay, so it wasn't that you started reading Eastern philosophy and thought, oh, the nature of the self, the self is shaky and I should investigate that. You were having these experiences prior to really understanding the context of them. Yeah, and then the words would come, like people, even I remember you mentioning the word non-duality to me and I thought, never heard of that before it sounds interesting and then googling it and thinking ah that matches i can see why richard would use that word in the context of some of the things i speak about and write about 
um, but but equally, you know, I was um, I was a cradle Catholic, um, and I was always very interested in spirituality and started meditating from a young age. So, and reading books, um, mostly Catholicism-related books, but others too, the mystics, the Catholic mystics. So what did you perceive you were doing in meditation then, if not a form of, because when I, when I got into meditation, um, if I wasn't aware of like, that it was an investigation of the nature of the self right there and then, um, pretty quickly I was, and that's the context I mm-hmm. saw it in. Mm-hmm. But what, if, you, if that wasn't the case for you, what was your, why were you sitting and meditating? Yeah, it's a really good question. I remember being taught to meditate when I was by a nun when I was 10 or 11 um, in year six at school. And the way of meditating was it's kind of like we would imagine we were on a beach with Jesus and he was walking along with us holding our hand. And so for a long time, my meditations were visualizations. And I would imagine hmm. meeting Jesus or Mary or, or sometimes meeting all sorts of other things, animals, plants. Um, so for a long time, as a child, I guess, my meditation kind of took that form. And then when I was 17, I joined um, a convent. I thought I wanted to be a nun. Um, so I joined a convent and we spent many, many hours a day in meditation. And some of that would be Lexio Divina, which would be reading the Bible and then meditating. So maybe repeating a phrase from the Bible and just letting it kind of take form within the self. Um, and then I left the convent and then I kind of started experimenting with chanting and but there was always kind of a purpose for me and that purpose I, I guess in my mind I conceptualized it as I was looking for peace and I thought meditation through these visualizations through this chanting through this sitting in stillness um, might bring me some peace it was only much later I thought gosh this is just all about allowing whatever is mm-hmm. that's what meditation is But you, you don't, you'd had that understanding very early on, Richard. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to reflect on these things, isn't it? I think um, questions about the nature of the self had um, been around for me as a teenager. Like I read, I read Descartes' Meditations, okay, where he tries to call, which is kind of a self-inquiry. Um, yeah. So he tries to go into himself and find, okay, what can I really know? Because like this could all be a dream and I could be being manipulated by an evil demon, right? So what can I, what's like, can I find one thing that I can be sure of? And he gives the analogy of like, if you want, if you have a barrel full of apples and you want them not to go rotten, you have to take out any apple that could even slightly potentially be rotten. Once yeah. you've just got the ones that are definitely good left. And then you can start putting new apples in there because you've got a solid foundation. And Descartes um, famously cuts back to this, um, I think before I am, Kagito mm-hmm. Ergosum, um, and then the next thing he says after that is, what am I? I am a thinking thing. So he has, he's formed this kind of, okay, there's a thing there, which I am, right? Um, and it didn't occur to me at the time, and I don't know if it occurred to Descartes or not, that that thinking thing goes away for about eight hours a day when we <laughs> sleep, right? And then the thinking thing changes. Like sometimes it's, um, you drink a cup of coffee and the thinking thing becomes sharper, or you have a, a pint of beer and the thinking thing becomes duller. And so it started to occur to me um, at some point after that, that this sense of me being a person um, shifted, uh, you know, according to chemical influences or mm. according to whether I was tired or not. So, and that just seems strange. 
yeah. who I was would be dependent on these kind of factors. Um, and I think also um, I turned 18 and okay, officially an adult now. So I thought at the time and at that time, your body's just gone through this like transformation. It's just coming to an end, right? From like birth or even conception right to the point of being there. And that's 18, 19, you're kind of done for the big stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, all I've really done since then is lose hair. <laughs> right. So um it's it's an immense kind of change and an immense mental change mm. as well from having like the worldview so finishing high school and having the worldview of an eleven year old to the worldview of an eighteen year old in, yeah. in quick succession. Um so that messes with the sense of well, who am I then if everything is changing, right? Mm. And then I was struck by this sense, yeah, but the feels like there's a me in here that's the same as mm. when I was five. It doesn't mm. feel like I'm a different person. Yeah. But everything's changed. So what does that mean? And these kind of questions were coming up. And I think also um, just questioning also, maybe not in questions that didn't point exactly to identity, but in terms of what makes a person happy, right? Because like lived on the myth that you um, go through school and then get a job and earn lots of money and that makes you happy. But I was realizing, well, like if, if two people that are stood in the field and one has lots of money and one doesn't, what, what difference does that make to them? They're just in the field of the grass and the sun is doing what it's doing. And so where does happiness come from actually? If it, yeah. And the, these things, they were just cutting into all my perceptions. Yeah. And um, yeah, at the same time as that, I was having these like mystical experiences. Um, I have to say induced by alcohol and a kind of funny hangover the next day of feeling very connected to everything mm. and shifting into this place in consciousness of feeling very in the moment and um, just like with this real sense of peace and enjoying being in the garden and not being consumed by worries for the day. Mm. And I had no context for that then. And the thing that spoke to me then was um, Zen when I mm. found out about that, because I got into martial arts. I think there was a bit of an intuitive draw towards I, I knew I was experiencing a shift in consciousness. Um, and yeah, Zen has all this stuff in about talking about letting go our worries and being in the moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I was in the moment. I didn't think to think of it that way, but that's what yeah. was going on there. And the idea that it was important to ask questions about the nature of the self wasn't immediate to me. Mm -hmm. It came, I got into meditation to, okay, let's see if I can recapture this really lovely state of being. Okay. And um, yeah, was doing the whole meditation thing. And then in doing that one day, I really saw that there was no fixed me mm. in my own head, mm. right? And it's like the most blindingly obvious thing that we never look at because we're always paying attention to something out there or even if our attention is internal, it's to patterns of thought. It's not to who is the thinker. Mm. And um, that wasn't a good insight to have emotionally right it was like it was upsetting like really upsetting because the one thing that i thought was my good apple in the barrel <laughs> and, and i'm gonna chuck that one out and now the, the barrel the barrel's empty right? and and it was quite and i didn't have a context because i've been reading books on meditation but a lot of books on meditation don't really talk about self-inquiry no. you know so it was then i had to read a place like more esoteric stuff which did and it's like okay right i'm not like this is not like some sort of psychosis okay it's not um it's not me going mad and I'm not the first person to experience this. There are lots of people through history who have experienced this in a very positive way. Mm. 
yeah. and um that's like that's like a start of a, a journey then you know into investigation of the self mm. and i wouldn't say it was always like um a good thing because it's self-inquiry i don't think promises like at every step of the way to make your life better right it it promises to take you very deeply inside yourself and you're going to find whatever you find there and at times that can be like worse because you find stuff you don't like yeah um, you so find an empty barrel as you say yeah yeah and that, yeah ultimately like finding emptiness and what does emptiness feel like so that was the the start of it for me yeah and um how do you find it now your like experience of um coming out of the kind of suffering you went through and being kind of recovered um has your context for understanding this process of self-inquiry changed over the years and what benefit does it bring to you now what do you feel about it now um i guess for me even from that very first taste of it it doesn't feel to have changed much i really recognize when you say emotionally it wasn't an easy not an easy realization that gosh is there nothing you know this thinker of the thoughts this kind of personal entity that somehow appears to permeate all of my experiences what happens when when i look for that one and i find this kind of emptiness and i guess that that emptiness could all equally be called aliveness beingness um consciousness all these different mm. terms that people use um you know this sense of the emptiness and the fullness at the same time the sense that that whatever that thing is that consciousness that beingness that aliveness and um, not even the thinker of the thoughts but the one aware of the, the thinker of the thoughts um yeah that whatever that that one is it's not graspable and i think that's quite scary i certainly found that quite scary and oh who, who am I then? Um, and not only who am I, but there was this fear at the beginning of, well, what's the point? I think it, it, it can feel a bit like that on occasion for some people at the beginning. Like, what's the point then? What's the point in me continuing my studies? What's the point in me um, doing all of these things? Because at that moment, all of the kind of personal investment in those things feels to drop away it's like gosh well i'm this emptiness i'm this aliveness it doesn't matter whether i qualify as a psychologist or if i um travel to this place or do all these other things that society says might be a good idea for me to do um but then what i found over the years is that all of those things continue to happen and life continues to unfold and my body continues to do what it does so it continues to kind of seek out experiences that feel feel good to it and my brain continues to like being stimulated so I continue to seek out education and all of these things and yet there's not there's not kind of this driving and kind of driving experience driving entity driving energy I guess is what I'm trying to say behind it that says if I don't do these things mm. life isn't okay and I'm not okay coming from a core place of security 
Yeah, because none of those things are who I am. They're things that arise within who I am, as is the body, as is are the thoughts. Um, but they're not ultimately who, who I am. So therefore, it feels like life is a lot more flowy because it, I can try different things and I can follow different things. But if it doesn't work out and if life goes in a totally different direction, um, it feels to be really okay. With moments of panic, you know, with moments of that conditioning coming up and saying, ah, oh, but you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you're not a good person if you don't manage this. But even that is perceived and kind of seen as being, okay, these are things that are arising out of my conditioning and out of my experiences. And I think those things, they can be very embedded and they can take a while. Um, but there isn't, there doesn't feel to be any pain in it anymore in mm-hmm. that same way. I don't know how it is now for you, Richard. Yeah, I think I had, it's like become more stable um, over the years, as I think. I think that maybe for the first few years of going into this, it's a real kind of virgin territory, okay, mm. and quite a discovery. And as I said, like not always, every step is more happy than the last. Mm. So um, there was a phase where self-inquiry whilst it definitely brought me out of about a year and a half suppressive period, it also led me into it because I, I was going into the self and okay, the ultimate nature of the self I found, I found this kind of, I didn't find what I was reading about in terms of um, the love of God within mm. or something or this transcendent sense of peace. Um, I found this bleak kind of sense of emptiness that I used to call like the not nothing, right? Which is negation. It's like the non-dual thing because it didn't even feel like nothingness. It's just Mm. when I look deeply inside of myself, I just find this blank absence of everything. Mm. And that felt like the very core of my being. And that, um, whilst I might see it as a not nothing, it didn't affect my emotions in a nothing way. It made me quite depressed because it's Mm. like everything is just empty in the end. Um, and yeah, ultimately the process also brought me out of that. And um, in, in a similar way, maybe to what you're saying about embracing the sense of monstrousness, of allowing myself to sink into that nothingness, to dissolve into it, to not have the separation between me and it, to say, okay, if this is what I am, then this is what I'll be, and mm-hmm. surrender to it. And then it transformed into this mm-hmm. transcendent sense of love. Mm-hmm. within this infinite ocean within us and that just instantly cured the depressive period because that had been like the problem and there was a solution and, and that was that it was very straightforward um as these things go mm-hmm. and then after that it was i suppose more a sense of trying to understand what is this consciousness that opens up when we look within and how how does it open up um and understanding better Supposed to having in some ways a better intellectual framework for it mm-hmm. and i think i tend to see this like as a comparison to sleep and dreaming mm-hmm. um that when we dream 
um, we have all these different characters in our mind and we play one of those characters. So I can say that, yeah, I had a dream last night and I did this and these other people did this. But of course, in reality, like where the consciousness in which the whole dream is arising, where every character, and we can gain that perspective in dream, we can dream lucidly and become aware of ourselves as this conscious, oh, really, I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping in bed at night. And that's an amazing experience in a dream because you can mm-hmm. you know, see reality in a whole different way. You can see everything that's apparently out there is really not out there. There is no space and extension and all this. And I think, yeah, to look at it through that context and then to replicate that experience really of, um, of being able to access that transcendent state of consciousness and bring it into daily life more and more. And the more I've gone on with that, I suppose, the more stable it's come to feel and the more integrated into life. Okay, Nicole, how are we doing? Shall we, um, shall we draw this one to a close and pick up some other stuff another time? Okay, well, thank you very much for the conversation. Yeah. And um, we'll speak again soon. Okay, thank you.